Josh Neighbors here from the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 29th, 2020. Today, my conversation with Tim Kelly of the Locked On Phillies podcast as we begin our team previews of the other teams in the NL East. We'll have the Braves, Mets, Marlins, and the Phillies are up first. Hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Tim Kelly here on Locked On Nationals podcast episode number four. I am here with Tim Kelly of the Locked On Phillies podcast, a little cross-divisional podcast here. We're going to preview all of the divisional rivals of the Washington Nationals as we head into the year of 2020, the 2020 season. Almost here. Tim, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know, you can't start talking about the Phillies without talking about the managerial change at the top. And, uh, you know, Gabe Kapler in the beginning of his tenure was much maligned and rightfully so for over-management, um, and it kind of did fall into a rhythm where, you know, those tendencies went away, but there was some conjecture about whether he should come back or not, uh, Kapler, as the manager. What was your feeling about the switch, and are you, you know, do you think it was a positive change for the organization? I think I was one of the few people in Philadelphia that was relatively moderate on Gabe Kapler, but had I had the decision, and again, I don't have the decision because I don't know if I would have hired him if I had the decision, but had I had the decision, I would have gone in another direction at the end of last season for a variety of reasons. The Phillies chose to do that, and I think uh, given the direction that they went in their managerial search, that they were seeking someone with experience, I think they got the best guy uh, that fits that mold in Joe Girardi. Yeah, and so you know, what do you think we can expect for, in terms of team dynamics and what Girardi brings to the table? Because obviously he kind of had that itch and was looking to get back in, took a year off, and now he's back. What do you think is the biggest change people are going to notice from Kapler's reign to you know now Girardi's? I think it's going to be uh, it's tough to say because one of big Joe, Gabe Kapler's biggest issues was connecting with some of the less analytically inclined. Uh, often a, a little bit older in age, fans, media members, whatever the case may be. And I think Joe Girardi has a sense of legitimacy with that crowd because he's won a World Series in New York and had an extremely successful run and just generally because they're aware of him. So I, I think he brings that substance change. There may be some more stability in the lineup. Ultimately, what's going to have to happen, though, is the Phillies are going to have to stay healthier and get more production out of players. And a lot of that that didn't happen over the last two years was way bigger than Gabe Kapler or whoever would have been the manager. So I think what's interesting about the NL East this year, and you can give me your thoughts on this, is that the four teams that are going to be vying for the really going to be vying for the, the crown are the Nationals, Mets, Braves, and Phillies. And I, I think what's been interesting to see that is all four teams do be, completely believe in the direction the of their franchise, the roster they currently have, and I think that was evident when the. Mets lost Carlos Beltran, they hired Luis Rojas from within, which means they clearly believe in their vision. Obviously, the Braves have reason to believe in their vision because they won the division, and then the Nationals won a World Series. So I think what you're seeing is four teams that currently believe they can and should win the division. And in my opinion, that brings a really fun and interesting dynamic. This is not four teams saying, well, yeah, we'd like to win it. It's four teams that believe they should win it. Yeah, absolutely. I I asked Matt Klintak, the Phillies general manager, that question 
at the uh, press conference where they introduced Didi Gregorius and Zach Wheeler, I said point blank, do you think that the Phillies, as currently constructed, and there haven't really been any notable changes since then, can win the National League East? And he said he did. He said uh, they won 81 games last year with a lot going wrong. Now, I would argue some of that going wrong, guys like Pat Neshek and Tommy Hunter are no, no longer here. But it is true. I mean, uh, it's not often in baseball that, you lose two-thirds of your outfield before the middle of June. Odubo Herrera got arrested and ultimately suspended for the whole season. Andrew McCutcheon tore his ACL, which was an injury that commonly happens in sports, but not necessarily to the same extent in baseball as it does in football and basketball. So I think he's right in saying a lot went wrong that probably won't go as wrong this year. Whether that's enough to make up probably 15 or 16 wins from the 18, they were at 81 last year. I think you have to get to about 95 to 97 to win the NL East this year. I, I have reservations about that. And I also think one thing that Phillies fans have expressed reservation about is the pitching. And that is something that is going to have to improve as you move into, you know, as we move here into into 2020 and you look at their rotation and you stack it up against the rest of the National League East. And to be honest, at a glance, it, it I think it pales in comparison. I think I think they're going to have a difficulty matching arms. You know, when we get some of these marquee series down the line, you know, do you do you think Phillies fans should feel comfortable with the names that they're going to see on the opposite side of the lineup card? Uh, you know, going against their guys, they bring in Zach Wheeler. Obviously, that's the, I think it's the big acquisition from that perspective. And in my opinion, they paid him as somebody who watches the Mets a lot. They paid him for the guy he can be, not the guy he currently is. So you know, with that being the biggest addition, I think skeptics. You know, I think people should be skeptical about the rotation. How do you feel about it now? Well, I thought uh, along the lines of what you said, the Phillies paying him for what he can be until I saw the deals that Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole got. And ultimately, if Zach Wheeler is just what he's been the last couple of years, which is a really solid middle of the rotation guy, I think that deal will age well. Now, in the context of the Phillies competing in 2020, they obviously need significantly more from Zach Wheeler. And I, I think he's going to take a step forward to what extent we're going to have to wait and see. As far as Aaron Nola, two years ago, Aaron Nola, you watched it in D.C. He went blow for blow with Max Scherzer. I mean, Aaron Nola was not quite as good as Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom, but two seasons ago, he was one of the top five pitchers in the sport. So if you get that version of Aaron Nola, the Phillies are in really good shape. Last season, he was more like a, a guy that would be a number three on a championship team. Still a very valuable piece, but when you're in a division with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin, uh, they, the Phillies obviously need more. I think the Braves have vastly improved their pitching across the board this offseason. So you have those two. The bigger concern for me is that in the middle of the rotation, you have someone in Jake Arrieta that is making a lot of money in the final guaranteed season of his deal. And over the past two seasons, frankly, he just he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And when he has been healthy, he hasn't missed a ton of bats. So there's more concern, I think, from a lot of Phillies fans that you're going back to the same well with Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez, Nick Pavetta, those guys at the back end. To me, the bigger concern is that you have Jake Arrieta in the middle. And I don't think anyone's honestly going to sit there and tell you right now that they expect Jake Arrieta to pitch at that caliber this season. That doesn't mean he won't be someone 
that eats innings and you know is able to give you 140 150 innings and be a productive major league pitcher but is he going to pitch at a level that allows you to win 97 games I, I probably not if you've been a listener of this podcast i'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working on the locked on network to reach sports fans but you may not know that the locked on nationals podcast is a great way for your local business to reach pra- passionate nationals fans just like you Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener. Yeah, and, and with that, I want to go go to that back part of the rotation. You mentioned Arietta Eflin and Velasquez, and you know, even if Nola and Wheeler give you, you know, Nola gives you what you've been seeing, and then Wheeler gives you the you know what we saw in his best outings, and his best outings were very good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you still have to be concerned. And, and you say Arietta does have a bit of a renaissance and is able to turn back the clock. Still, Eflin and Velasquez and even Pavetta to some extent, you, you, I don't know if you can go in, go in with those guys and expect them to, to hold up their end of the bargain and, and be solid because I think whoever's rotation, and I think if you ask the managers across the NL East, whoever's rotation can withstand the grind of the season is probably going to give that that team the best shot to win the division. I'd say those back three have to cause concern because even if those top two give you great production, it's still going to come down to the consistency day in and day out. And those, you know, it's only forty percent of your starting rotation. Yeah, I agree with you. The the one thing that the Nationals had last year when their bullpen certainly wasn't World Series caliber is you had three frontline starters in your rotation. You had uh, another veteran and Anibal Sanchez. Like the, There were different options that were going to give you innings at a, at a minimum, if not more. The Phillies have questions in their bullpen, and they may be – every team has questions in their bullpen. Bullpens are year to year. You don't know what you're going to get. But I don't think the Phillies have as good a bullpen as the Mets and the Braves, and they certainly don't have as good as starting options at the beginning of the season as a team like the Nationals do. So y- you have – have concerns because every other team in this division, I think the Braves have both starting and relieving, and I think the Mets have a chance to as well, but every other team at least has one of the two that you feel really good about. Uh, and, and also, you mentioned the bullpen. How, how do you feel about that moving into the season? Obviously, the big, the big acquisition, I would say, is Drew Storen, somebody the Nationals fans are very familiar with. Uh, bullpen-wise, what is 1-10, to 10, how confident are you in the, in the Phillies' bullpen heading into the 2020 season? Uh, I would say like a four or five. Um, you, you said it. Drew Storen's a big acquisition. Drew Storen hasn't pitched in the major leagues in a few seasons right. and was a minor league deal. So th- there wasn't a big acquisition. I think there's a lot of hope in Sir Anthony Dominguez, who uh, was electric at times in his rookie season two years ago. And then last year had a UCL injury, didn't need Tommy John surgery. But this UCL injury happened in June and he never came back. By all accounts, he is good to go, but until you see it, there's going to be concerns. And even if you do see it, there's someone like Dylan Batances who ended up in the division with the Mets that had you added both of them, you would have been in a much better situation, especially when you talk about the questions you have in your starting rotation. So it's fair to be skeptical. And then now you move to kind of position players, and obviously the one that Nationals fans talk about a lot is, is Bryce Harper and Last season for him, you know, his numbers are always – he's one of the more interesting statistical players just because of what he's able to bring uh, despite his, his flaws. 260 last season, you know, he, he didn't – he wasn't horrible. Um, but it really 
it really comes in waves. And I, and I will say this, ever since that MVP season, it just seemed like his, you know, his approach was money that season. And he was ne- he's never really been able to um, conjure that back for an extended period of time. And I mean, you know, over like, an entire half of a season. You know, there are months where he's just scorching hot and there's months where, you know, you, you could, you know, it's like, why is he even in the lineup? So... Bryce Harper, I guess, is that what Phillies fans are looking to see? Is that consistency that he can bring to the plate this year? Because that seems to be the key when you look even across the division, too, is those guys who hit 3-4 in the lineups across the way have all just been so consistent. Those are the guys that have really brought it. And, you know, guys like Rendon and guys like Freeman, those, those guys have really brought the consistency, I guess. Is that what Phillies fans are looking from Harper? Phillies fans were generally pretty happy with the season Bryce Harper had okay. last year. 35 home runs. I'm not a huge RBIs guy, but a career high in RBIs was a a gold glove finalist, which was that that was the most shocking development out of it all. Um, I I think everyone at this point knows that the the season Bryce Harper had in 2015 is not only one of the best of this era, it's one of the best in the history of the sport. I mean, I've gone down a list of Hall of Fame right fielders that includes uh, a who's who of names that never had a 9.5 war in a season, and Bryce Harper did it when he was 22. So I don't think he's ever going to top that season. The same way Ryan Howard in this season was not as good as Bryce Harper's 2015, but Ryan Howard never topped his 2006 MVP season when he hit 58 home runs. Teams start to pitch around you. there's more and more available in terms of how to study you. All that said, Bryce Harper in the first half of 2017, before he slipped on the wet first base bag at Nationals Park, was on an MVP caliber tear. I think people expect him to hit 40-plus home runs this year and be maybe not the MVP. Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger go down the list are going to have a bunch to say about that. But I think he's someone that is going to be a 40-plus home run guy. Last season, you can compartmentalize as well as anyone. Bryce Harper didn't know not only where he was going to play, but where he was going to live. And he ended up having a child. So where he, his wife, and his child were going to live for the foreseeable future until March. There's no way that doesn't affect your preparation for the season. Obviously, he probably it probably burned a little bit as much as he says it didn't for the Nationals to win the World Series in his first year gone. But having had an offseason that's quiet and just able to kind of regroup, I think that's good for him. He's at what should be his physical peak. To me, these are the years that Bryce Harper should be competing for MVPs. From the prospect perspective or young guy perspective, who do you think is somebody that, uh, you know, casual fans or people that don't pay attention to the Phillies every day, somebody that is going to break through a name that everybody's going to know by the end of the season? Yeah, uh, it is both, and you're going to need both of these guys. You're going to need Alec Bohm, who is a third baseman, could potentially play first, but third is his natural position. You're going to need him. And I don't even know if I would say more importantly, but certainly you're going to need Spencer Howard, who's your top overall arm in your system, to come up and come of age this year. The Phillies are going to have to limit his innings, so I'm interested to see exactly how much of an impact he can make I would say he has to make some sort of impact in the starting rotation for the Phillies to have a legitimate chance to win the National League East. And given that he has an innings limit of 140 to 150 innings and has never pitched against Double A, yeah, it's 
fair to wonder if you can win a division where the Braves have a lot of quantity in terms of pitching and the Mets and Nationals have a who's who at the top of their rotation. Uh, Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, like go down the list. It, it's fair to wonder if you're putting too much pressure on both of these guys to come through uh, and make a major impact right away in 2020. Uh, and I'll ask you this one. The over-under win total, this is according to Action Network, they have them at 86 and a half. And in the NL East, that is fourth highest uh, of what's of what is listed. Now, at the same time, I will give you this: Vegas has the odds for winning the or winning the NL. The four uh, NL East teams that we've talked about a lot: the Braves, Nats, Mets, and Phillies are all in the top six, I believe, of the National League odds to actually win the league. So, you know, take that for what it is. Um, the Phillies, eighty-six and a half over under. What do you think? I think over, but over doesn't really necessarily mean anything. Over, right. you're in the wild card discussion. And I, like when I say over, I think 87, 88 is kind of where they're at. Now, who knows? Um, it might not be popular on this channel, but I, I will say this. I picked the Nationals to go to the World Series last year. I think they're going to take a major step back this I agree. year. Um, but I think the Atlanta Braves are as good a team in baseball, maybe other than the Yankees. And they won 97 games a year ago. I know they lost Josh Donaldson, but they vastly improved their uh, bullpen. Uh, Acuna continues to come of age. I think they're a World Series contender. And as much as I say, like, something always seems to go wrong with the Mets, they won 86 games last year, and their bullpen was a train wreck. They add in Dylan Batances this offseason, and at least one of Edwin Diaz or Yuri's Familia can't be as bad as they were last year. If anyone pushes the Braves legitimately for the National League East, uh, I, I think it's probably going to be the Mets. But my gut is that the Braves are going to comfortably win the division, and that might not be limited to this year. That may be what happens going forward in the National League East for some time. And then the Mets, Phillies, and... You know, I think the Nationals are going to take a step back, but I still think there'll be a team that comes September 1st is in the wild card discussion. So all three of those teams I have right in that range. I, I think the Mets are probably closer to 91, 92 wins, but the Phillies and Nationals are in the 85 to 88 range where certainly you could win a wild card, but you need a few things to go your way because as much as we talk about a team like the Nationals that could take a step back, you have the Reds, the Padres, all these other teams that could, the Diamondbacks that could take a step forward. Uh, all right, Tim Kelly, where can people find you on social media? They can follow me at Tim Kelly Sports. That's on Facebook and Twitter. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Tim Kelly of the Locked On Phillies podcast joining us here today on the Locked On Nationals podcast. Thanks for your time, Tim. Thank you.